0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Dreams and Screams, the podcast. We're your hosts, Ashley and Tammy. Can you believe that we're already a whole month into the podcast?
1: This is wild. I feel like time is absolutely flying
0: by. I'm so excited though. We're moving, we're grooving, and I'm so excited. You're going to walk us through a story today.
1: Yes, I'm actually really excited to tell you the story today. Sometimes late at night, I can't sleep so I was just scrolling through all that's interesting.com I don't know if you've ever been on that website but they literally have just crazy story after story after story and that's where I came about this story I'm going to tell you today I had never heard this one before and I hope you find it as interesting as I did All right, let's get started. I'll just dive right into the story. I'm not even gonna tell you the name of it so you can just be completely immersed the way I was. It's August 23rd, 2002, and 21-year-old Michelle Knight was on her way to a social services appointment regarding custody of her young son, Joey. So he was in custody of the state. I'm not particularly sure why, but she had an appointment. She could not find the building that she was looking for at the courts. So she asked several bystanders for help. Hey, can you guys help me figure out where this is? No one could really point her in the right direction. It's unclear whether she found what she was looking for or if she kind of just gave up. But that's when she saw a man whose name is Ariel Castro. She recognized him as the father of someone she knew. He offered her a lift home. So she agreed. She knew him, the dad of one of the kids that I guess maybe her son went to school with or was in the neighborhood. So she knew who he was. Once she gets in his car, he starts driving and she realizes he's driving in the wrong direction. Also, the passenger door of his car had a broken or missing handle, so she cannot open it. Michelle thinks this is weird, but kind of lets it ride. He told her he had a puppy at his house for her son and she believed him. Now, I don't really know the order of events. It wasn't clear. So I don't know if he first told her he had a puppy for her son and later she realizes that the handle is broken or the other way around. So I think maybe that does matter. But either way, she goes into his house and walks up to where he said the puppies were. As soon as she reaches a room on the second floor... He shuts the door behind her. Michelle would not leave that 2207 Seymour Avenue house for the next 11 years.
0: 11 years? Yes. Okay, tell me more. Okay,
1: get ready for this. That was August 23rd, 2002. It is now April 21st, 2003. And Amanda Berry was leaving her Burger King shift the day before her 17th birthday. She was looking for a ride when she spotted Ariel Castro. She was last heard from around 8 p.m. when she called her sister to tell her that she was getting a ride home from her job at Burger King. The FBI initially considered her a runaway until a week after her disappearance when an unidentified male used her cell phone to call her mother. He said, I have Amanda. She's fine and she will be coming home in a couple of days. Just like Michelle, she remained in Ariel
0: Castro's captivity for the next 10 years. So when he calls her mother, and maybe I'm jumping ahead because this is what I do, guys. I'm like, you know, the story's unraveling and I'm already down the rabbit hole. What does her mother do from there? Does her mom call the police? Is she like, okay, fine. You just kind of have to
1: go with me on the way I'm telling you the story. Okay,
0: I'll go with the journey.
1: Yes, just go on this journey with me. It is now a gorgeous day, a gorgeous spring day in 2004, about a year later, and 14-year-old Gina DeJesus had plans to hang out with her friend Arlene, but plans fell through, as they do. Shortly before Gina disappeared, she and Arlene had called Arlene's mother, Grimilda Figueroa, for permission to have a sleepover at Gina's house, but the mom said no. Arlene was the last person to see Gina before her disappearance. Arlene, Gina's friend, happened to be Ariel Castro's daughter. Gina was under the impression that Castro was picking her up to drop her off at home, since the girls, you know, wind up not being able to have a sleepover. She trusted him because, well, she was friends with his teenage daughter. No one witnessed her abduction and an Amber Alert was not issued, which obviously angered her father. He said in 2006, the Amber Alert should work for any missing child, whether it's an abduction or a runaway. A child needs to be found. Which he's
0: absolutely right. Yeah, for sure. None of that matters if a child is missing.
1: Yeah, 14-year-old. She doesn't come home. Things need to happen. So she was last seen at a payphone around 3 p.m. while on the way home from her middle school. A year after her disappearance, the FBI released a composite sketch and description of a male suspect described as Latino, 25 to 35 years of age, 5 feet 10 inches, 165 to 185 pounds, with green eyes, a goatee, and possibly a pencil-thin beard, which is just creepy.
0: Pencil-thin beard? I don't even want to picture that.
1: According to court records, Castro was 5 feet 7 inches, 179 pounds, with brown eyes and a goatee. So, he fits the description. She actually was also featured in America's Most Wanted segment, which linked her to Amanda. The disappearances received regular media attention well into 2012, while the families held public vigils. Castro attended at least two of these vigils. What
0: the fuck? They always show up at the vigils. They always show up at events.
1: Yeah, he apparently, reportedly, even participated in the search party
0: and tried to get close to the de Jesus family truly like trying to cover his tracks like i'm not involved i'm helping fucking asshole
1: police kept the investigation open and offered a twenty-five thousand dollar reward for any information amanda was also featured in a 2004 segment on fox's america's most wanted which re-aired in 2005 and 2006 which linked her to gina who by that point had also gone missing barry and de Jesus were actually even profiled on the oprah winfrey show and and the Montel Williams show, where there was even a psychic who told the mother in 2004 that her daughter was dead and that she was in water. Of course, this devastated her mother. She even took down pictures and gave away Amanda's computer, but she did continue the search until her death in early March of 2006. Ironically, Ariel Castro's son, Anthony, a student journalist, wrote an article about the missing family friend in the wake of her disappearance. He even interviewed Gina's grieving mother, Nancy Ruiz, who said, People are watching out for each other's kids. It's a shame that a tragedy had to happen for me to really know my neighbors. Bless their hearts. They've been great. Wow. So a little bit about this nightmare house. On Seymour Avenue. Ariel Castro kept his three victims restrained in the basement before he let them live upstairs. They were all sequestered behind locked doors, often with holes to slide food in and out. This is not his house. This is a separate living quarters. Or it's his house? No, it's his house. Okay. This is where he lived and he kept them. They used plastic buckets as toilets and he rarely emptied them. Ugh gross he liked to play a lot of mind games with them I will give a trigger warning there's a lot of abuse that went on at this house I will not get into the nitty gritty and super detailed I think we can all imagine everything that went on in this house for 10-11 years where these women were kept captive so I'll mention some things but if you guys really want to get right into the details obviously you know I suggest you research this on your own but I did want to just to give that trigger warning he apparently would sometimes leave the door open and tempt them with freedom which is just extra fucked up when he inevitably caught them trying to flee he'd punish them with the beating oh
0: my god this man is sick
1: so not only did he keep them captive he was them like the doors open like are you gonna try to leave And when they did, obviously, try to escape, he would just beat them even more. You're taunting them. Exactly. I
0: mean, if you're locked away for years and years, like we watched that one show and the girl's like going crazy, you know? Like you're seeing things, you're hearing things. Naturally, you're gonna be like, I gotta escape. It's just sick. Truly fucked
1: up all the way around. Also, instead of birthdays, he forced the women to celebrate their abduction day. Are you kidding? Can you fucking believe it? Again, sick.
0: You are a sick man. Absolutely vile.
1: So... They had to commemorate the anniversaries of their imprisonment. And year after year, they suffered physical abuse, sexual abuse, all at the hands of Castro. They didn't think that they were ever going to be able to get out. They even watched the fucking royal wedding of Prince William and Kate Middleton on a small grainy
0: TV in black and white. Imagine, like, that's your maybe only even glimpse of real world royal wedding. Meanwhile, you're held in captivity by this sicko.
1: So through the years, these women, they were really smart and they learned a couple things. One, how to handle him, how to get a sense of what was happening in the house, and how to hide their inner feelings. He was truly a sadist. He craved their pain. He wanted them to suffer and he wanted to see it. So most of them learned how to master feelings and really just try to keep as much of it inside as possible as to not let him have the pleasure on top of him holding them captive to also watch them fall apart
0: yeah you're playing into his hand if you do that you know this is exactly what he wants
1: and that's gotta be hard i mean years after years of torture and abuse and you know they're still trying to hold on to their humanity like you have to disassociate or something Absolutely. So, at some point, Amanda Berry realizes that she's pregnant. He oddly lets her continue with the pregnancy. And on Christmas Day 2006... He allegedly ordered Michelle to assist in the birth of Barry's child, which took place in a small inflatable swimming pool, and he threatened to kill her if the baby did not survive. At one point, the baby stopped breathing, but Michelle was able to resuscitate her. Castro occasionally took Amanda's daughter out of the house, including to visit his mother. She called him Daddy and Castro's mother, Grandmother. In 2013, he even showed his adult daughters a picture of the child and said that she was his girlfriend's daughter from a previous relationship. So he's sort of claiming the child. I'm actually kind of surprised that he let her have the baby. Yeah. And doesn't seem like he hurt her at all. That's just super crazy.
0: Right. Well, and that's like in his real life. I use that in quotations. With his daughters and his mother or whatever, he's able to live this, like, life where they don't know anything is off. He can manipulate whatever. Here's this random child. But then he's doing these vile things to these women.
1: Yeah, he's truly living a double life. He is a monster who's holding these three women captive and now a child. And then he also has a regular life.
0: Right. The child doesn't know anything different than that, which is also so sad.
1: Yeah, this is her normal. Now, Amanda was a great mom. She even taught her daughter how to read and write while they were in captivity. She really took care of her, which just is above and beyond after having a baby by your rapist. Right.
0: Well, and that you're able to still know that those are the things you do for your child. You know, you take care of her. You love her. You foster her learning and her education as best you can, you know.
1: Exactly. So basically the layout of the house, he typically kept Michelle with Gina and then Amanda and the child separately. Michelle was often in trouble with him. She was the most rebellious of the group. So she was often getting beatings, but he was honestly just really fucked up. He even gave Gina her own missing flyer so he could like see That they were looking for her. Now, according to a statement from the CDP, officers visited Castro's home only once following the kidnappings to discuss a completely unrelated incident. He wasn't home at the time that they went and was later interviewed elsewhere. But the neighbors did say that they called the police about suspicious activity observed at the home. Yet the police have no records of such calls so I don't really know. Now, Anthony, Ariel Castro's son, reported that there were certain areas of the house that were locked and inaccessible. He also mentioned an occasion three weeks before the women's escape when Castro asked him if Amanda would ever be found. Anthony said he told him that maybe she was dead and Castro just played a call. Cool. He said, really? You think so? So he was, like, talking about the disappearances as if he obviously had no
0: idea. Right, again, weaving his web of lies.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Making it seem like, I don't know, anything could have happened.
1: So this is how they finally escape. It's May 6, 2013, about a decade after the kidnappings. Michelle described this day as eerie and as if something was bound to happen. Ariel drove to a McDonald's. And forgot to lock the door behind him. I guess he had gotten complacent after 10, 11 years. Six-year-old little Jocelyn, at this point, runs downstairs and back up and says to Amanda, I don't find daddy. Daddy's nowhere. She also said, Mom, daddy's car is gone. Oh, wow. The little Jocelyn, six years old at this point. I can't even. So for the first time in 10 years, Amanda Berry's bedroom door was unlocked and Ariel Castro was nowhere to be found. Should I chance it? If I'm going to do it, I need to do it now, is what she said to herself. She went to the front door, which was unlocked, but it was wired with an alarm. She didn't want to risk opening it, but she was able to stick her arm out through the padlocked storm door behind it and began screaming, Help, help, please, somebody help me. I'm Amanda Barry, please. So the neighbor... Angel Cordero responded to the screaming, but he was unable to communicate with her because he spoke a little English. Oh no. I know. But then neighbor Charles Ramsey, I guess, heard the commotion and came over. She was able to flag him down, and he helped break down the door and oh, call I, 911. I literally just got chills. It's unreal. She said, I've been kidnapped and I've been missing for 10 years. And now I'm free. She begged the dispatcher to send police to help her fellow prisoners at 2207 Seymour Avenue. When Michelle Knight heard the banging on the ground floor, she was convinced Castro had returned and had caught Amanda trying to
0: escape. Michelle knew that Amanda was escaping. She heard the commotion and she thought he caught her trying to leave, as he did many other times. Yeah. She didn't
1: even realize she was finally free from Castro until the police stormed the house and she fell into their arms. Michelle and Gina followed the officers out of the house, free for the first time in a decade, and finally able to feel the warm sun once more. As Michelle later recalled, the first time I was actually able to sit outside, feel the sun, it was so warm, so bright. It was like God was shining a big light on me.
0: Can't even imagine not being able to see, you know, literally stuck inside for 10 years. Yeah. You don't know what it feels like to have a breeze, like, go across your face. It's just so sad.
1: Just unreal. So the same day that the women earned their freedom, Castro lost his. He was arrested in the McDonald's parking lot shortly after the victims were rescued. He was arrested for aggravated murder, rape, and kidnapping. So following Michelle's rescue, the police did acknowledge that limited resources had been spent on investigating her disappearance, in part because she was an adult since she was 21 when she went missing. Authorities believe that she had run away voluntarily due to anger over losing custody of her son. According to Cleveland Deputy Police Chief Ed Tomba, she was the focus of very few tips. They actually even removed her from the National Crime Information Center database 15 months after her disappearance which made her largely unknown prior to her rescue. So they didn't even fucking look for her.
0: They're like, oh, well, she fled somewhere.
1: That angers me so much. Because then they could have potentially tied her to the other two girls that were on, like, America's Most Wanted and everything else. So now let me tell you a little bit about this fucking asshole, Ariel Castro. He was born in Puerto Rico on July 10th, 1960. I don't know when he became this fucking monster, but... It's speculated that it all started with his abusive relationship to his wife, Grimilda Figueroa. So they had a very rocky marriage. In October 1996, Figueroa moved out of her house after Castro subjected her and their four children to death threats and physical abuse. He even broke her nose and dislocated her shoulder twice. My
0: God. Abusive.
1: One time he beat her so hard a blood clot formed on her brain. Ugh. Isn't that crazy?
0: Keep your hands to yourself, man.
1: Oh, God, he's just a fucking dick. So, she secured custody of their four children. So, this is why they didn't know what was going on. They didn't live with him. Police assisted in the move and detained Castro, but they did not actually press any charges. He continued to threaten and attack her after she left him. She filed charges in 2005 with the Cuyahoga County Domestic Relations Court accusing Castro of inflicting multiple severe injuries and of frequently abducting their daughters. Uh. So I guess when they had visitation, he didn't want to give them back, etc. So they did grant her a temporary restraining order against him, but it was dismissed a few months later. Sadly, Figueroa died in 2012 due to complications from that brain tumor that was caused by the blood clot. So she never actually even found out
0: that he was.
1: Yeah, that he had these girls locked away in his house. In 2004, he was working as a bus driver for the Cleveland Metropolitan School District and he left a child alone on a bus. He apparently did the same thing in 2012. I don't know how he still had a job, but he was finally fired in 2012. Oddly enough, despite all of this, his daughter, Angie Gregg, had thought of him as a friendly, caring, doting man. He'd take her out for motorcycle rides. He'd give them haircuts and all that stuff. So she had no idea that he was this monster.
0: Right. Well, and if they didn't live together, she sees the good things.
1: She did say, I wonder this whole time how he could be so good to us, but he took young women, little girls, someone else's babies away from these families and over the years, Never felt enough guilt to just give up and let them free.
0: Yeah, that's such a long time. We would love to have stories that have none of this. But I'm like, he committed that for so long. Committed to that.
1: The power, I guess, of holding them captive. I don't really know what his thing is, but just unreal. In court, he said, When I picked the first victim, I didn't even plan it that day. It was something that just happened. That day I went to Family Dollar and heard her say something that day I didn't say I was going to find some women it wasn't in my character it just happened
0: that literally gave me the creepy crawlies down my back because I'm like you don't just go into Family Dollar one day and decide you're gonna be a creep but I apparently he did that you
1: know I guess if you're a creep you yeah, do like that's just true. wild like he just like woke up one day and was like, oh I'm just gonna take this person." <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, it also tracks because he's not a great human. He is also a piece of shit that beat his family, and so maybe he does wake up that day. But a normal human, you would not.
1: Yeah, I mean, he absolutely took advantage of the fact that he knew each victim to a degree and really enticed them all, like with a puppy, with a ride, whatever it was, he used just fucking cliche tactics to get them.
0: Well, and to your point, use your position that there's some level of they are going to feel comfortable with me because they know who I am or they feel familiar and that in some respect, maybe they feel they could trust him. Yeah, so know, they're going to have their advantage. guard down.
1: Now, he did testify on his own behalf during his trial. which just always, it's like, okay. God, this makes me so mad. He painted both himself and the three women as equal victims of this sexual addiction. He claimed that his crimes were not nearly as bad as they sounded and that his victims lived in some comfort with him as willing partners. Most of the sex that went on in that house, probably all of it, was consensual, he said.
0: Uh, you have them locked in rooms.
1: Yeah, there's no fucking part of that that's consensual.
0: You can't tell me that having people under lock and key with a slot to slide their food through is consensual i call bullshit
1: he proceeded to say the allegations about being forceful on them is totally wrong because there were times where they'd even asked me for sex many times and i learned this is just beyond i can't this guy's just totally fucked in the head and i learned that these girls were not virgins from their testimony to me they had multiple partners before me all three of them Fuck you, asshole. You fucking kidnapped them and now you're also judging them for being fucking human?
0: What does that have to even do with anything, you know? Fuck you. Yeah. I can't.
1: Michelle Knight actually testified against Castro and used his name for the very first time. Previously, she'd never referred to him by name to keep him from having power over her, calling him only him or the dude. She told police that Castro had actually gotten her pregnant at least five times and had induced miscarriages each time through beatings. I'm not even going to
0: get into the details. Got, again, chills. And I also don't understand, I guess, what was different like, with Amanda? Like, why did he allow that?
1: I don't know. I think that Michelle was, as they call it, like, the rebellious one. So she defied him a lot. So I don't know if that just made him angrier. And therefore, I think he beat her a lot more and she was often in trouble with him. So I just don't think that he could maybe control his rage towards her. So he apparently also starved her. and. Michelle's grandmother told reporters that she would require facial reconstruction surgery due to the beatings that she endured and had even lost hearing in one ear. Oh my god. So, they were really bad. Oh god. At one point, Michelle even had a pet dog while in captivity, but Castro killed it (gasps) by snapping its neck after it bit him while trying to protect Michelle. Just the true fucking sadist. He... Would let them see a glimmer of hope in having a pet, in leaving the door unlocked, so that they could think of having their real lives back, and then would take it all away. Right. Just pure fucked upness. Gina was also sexually abused, but as far as she knew, had never gotten pregnant. During the trial, Michelle declared, You took 11 years of my life away, and you deserve everything that's coming to you. And more. Yeah, absolutely. So, in the end, Castro pled guilty to 937 criminal counts of rape, kidnapping, and aggravated murder as part of a plea bargain. He was sentenced to life imprisonment plus 1,000 years in prison without the possibility of parole.
0: 1,000 years.
1: Yeah. This fucking dude, though, was a fucking coward. And he was in prison for a little bit more than a month. Before he fucking committed suicide on September third, twenty thirteen, wow. by hanging himself with the bed sheets in his prison cell, there were some rumors that it was like a autoerotic thing, but yeah. I'm not really sure whether that's true or not. So he's dead, but he took the fucking easy way out.
0: Yeah, yeah, he didn't want to have to live up to whatever was gonna happen to him.
1: Yeah, prison. But he's fucking fine with doing these things to other justice. people. Justice. Yeah. But- so. After the trial, the three victims obviously went about rebuilding their lives. Michelle Knight went to write a book about the ordeal titled Finding Me, A Decade of Darkness, before changing her name to Lily Rosely. So if anyone wants to dive deeper into this case, I would suggest reading her book directly, her account. She got married on May 6, 2015, which was the second anniversary of her rescue. She does hope to reunite with her son, who was adopted in her absence when he comes of age, but she really wanted to shield him from just the whole ordeal and everything she was going through, which is actually just, I guess, like the most motherly thing.
0: Commendable in the sense that she still wants him to have a normal childhood and life.
1: I know, it's really sad. She said... I do have some triggers, certain smells, light fixtures with chain pulls that bring me back to that horrific ordeal. She also can't stand the smell of Old Spice and Tommy Hilfiger cologne, which is what he used to cover himself with. So it's just those like reminders of this whole experience that she went through. Amanda Berry lives with her daughter Jocelyn And has finally been able to adjust to make her own decisions in life after being in captivity for so long. She also recently worked on a TV segment about missing persons in Northeast Ohio. So she's doing her work to try to help other victims. Gina and Amanda are not in contact with Michelle. According to Michelle Knight, I'm letting them go in my own way and they're letting me go my way. In the end, I hope that we get back together again, which I'm sure is super hard. They spent
0: all this time together being forced. This might come off wrong, so hopefully you guys can understand the sentiment of what I'm about to say, but it's almost like maybe that's even the ultimate trigger is like as much as my heart is with these additional women that I was with and all this stuff, also just that is a reminder of this awful thing that we endured. And so it's like you're battling your mindset of like they're what got me through but also there this reminder of this thing
1: yeah i would definitely assume that that's the ultimate trigger i mean i'm sure seeing them alone would just bring her back to that place that they were in 10 11 years worth of memories of just this horrific traumatic experience just don't go away like that yeah after that the home at 2207 Seymour avenue was demolished After the revelation of the crimes. And Gina's aunt actually got to man the excavator as the demolition. Yeah,
0: knock that shit down. Burn it to the ground.
1: So he's dead. The house is gone. Good. And these women are just trying to get their life back.
0: Yeah, start over.
1: So that is the Cleveland kidnappings at 2207 Seymour Avenue. I have to give credit to allthatsinteresting.com, the Ariel Castro-Cleveland abduction story by Andrew Milne, which is where I found this story. I did get also a lot of information from uh, CBS News, from the Wall Street Journal, some articles by Matthew Dolan, Joe Barrett, and Chris Mayer. Also, NBC News article by Johnson M. Alex. Let's see what else we have here. And just Wikipedia. And that's my story for this week.
0: Wow, that was... I've never heard that. That is wild. So sad. Obviously, I'm so happy that they're able to start their lives over and hopefully rewrite their story. And that's not, you know, their story anymore.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I always love survivor stories. It just gives us hope that these horrible things can happen but sometimes there is a happy ending in the life. sense that yeah they got their life back they they were able to escape help each other and help themselves but it's just completely insane these stories of people yeah. being held captive for decades yeah i
0: can't i can't imagine 11 years is what you said yeah oof
1: and young girls, I mean, fourteen, seventeen, and twenty-one, yeah. their whole lives.
0: Yeah, like before their life even started. Truly, like exactly. You know, they are just also children. Wow. I hope you guys enjoyed this story. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Tammy did a great job telling the story, and I'm gonna have to go read this book now.
1: Yeah, I want to read the book too. I read a couple excerpts. I didn't have time to read the int- the book in its entirety. But i'm sure you can find it on amazon
0: or anywhere else we're gonna have to find it maybe we'll start a book club i know right there's so many of these stories that i feel like have good like book point i think we're gonna have to
1: start we have to make a list yeah. too because maybe we can link. otherwise i forget
0: we can even link for you guys at some point all the um literature from like book perspective yeah if you
1: guys want to dive deeper into any of these cases i always think just straight from the source is better
0: yeah
1: well thank you for joining us thank you so much if you made it all the way to the end, please give us a, you know, rate, review, subscribe. We re- truly appreciate it.
0: Yeah, find us on Instagram. Always, you can email us anything you really want. You can email us stories. You can email us things you want us to dive deeper into. It is dreamsandscreamspod at gmail.com and on Instagram at pod
1: and thanks again for joining us at dreams and screams the pod bye see you soon bye